This is the Business Owner Challenge with Brady Marlowe of Execso. As a business owner, you have unique financial challenges, especially when it comes to transitioning your company either internally or externally. In this podcast, we address income planning for complex situations, leadership and ownership transitions, succession planning, exit strategies, generational wealth, and more. And now with a combined three decades of experience as both business owners and financial planners, here are your hosts, certified exit planner Brady Marlowe and credited estate planner Rob Wellendorf to help you navigate those challenging financial and emotional decisions. Hello and welcome to the Business Owner Challenge podcast. Today, I have the distinct pleasure to have Andy Simpson joining me from Gooseman Law Firm. Andy, welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you for having me. And we just had our compliance partner in yesterday and they make sure we have all of our disclosures and website stuff and they were reviewing the podcast and they said, if you have any guests on, you have to make sure that you say there's no affiliation and there's no compensation between the firms. So this is my official disclosure that we have no compensation between our firms. That is true. <laughs> and, and sorry if that's a surprise to you, Andy, no, uh, that yep. you're not getting paid for this. So I, I do apologize if that was an expectation. <laughs> no, definitely not. I'm, I'm happy to sit down and have a conversation, so. Perfect. So you're with Gooseman Law Firm. Tell me, tell me what you wanna tell me about your journey uh, to being an attorney and, and maybe to Gooseman. So my journey was a little bit uh, winding one. Um, I was a biologist by trade. Uh, uh, undergraduate and both both undergraduate and master's degree in biology, wetland biology in particular, sort of piqued my interest and I started doing some environmental regulatory work which sent me to law school. Um, from there I developed a pretty good land use practice, land, land use law practice, um, which naturally has kind of flowed into representing businesses of all sorts because most of the land use people that I deal with are entrepreneurs at heart um, and have some sort of real estate uh, background that I ended up involved with them in. So I've been practicing law for oh, going on 15 years now in the Omaha metro area. So. And so especially now you'd say is commercial real estate, mergers and acquisitions a bit. Exactly, that's a good way to put it. And your passion is though, we talk, you touched on it, your uh, biology uh, major. Uh, what did you do before that? Um, as a biologist, yeah. so I actually used to live on site and on biology stations and do field research and field data analysis. So one of the more interesting ones um, was I lived in northern Minnesota, sort of on a bog, and we did a bunch of uh, carbon dioxide testing on their prairies up there, um, and I really enjoyed that. But um, well, you know. I think that work will always always be available for you. Saving the world will always be available at some point, right? That's right. Yeah, I'll come back to that mm -hmm. at some point. So, but my practice now allows me to help a lot of people um, along the way, and uh, hopefully avoid the pitfalls the best we can. So it's still pretty rewarding, I think. Great. Tell me a little bit about Gooseman. I know um, the CEOs attorney or maybe help me with the phrase that you guys use over there. So uh, Gooseman Law I, this year is 10 years old. Okay. Uh, our CEO, Gina Gooseman, started the firm 10 years ago in Sioux City, Iowa, and has rapidly grown the law firm to, we now have three offices. We have an office in Sioux Falls, 
a brand new office in Sioux Falls. They've been there for quite some time, but they just moved into a new space. Nice. And the Omaha office, uh, we have been in our space for two years. Um, we have, I want to say, 60-ish employees and 30-some attorneys. A very vibrant practice with sort of a new approach to the practice of law. You know, uh, our law firm's focused on positive culture and uh, working the best we can with our clients to achieve their goals. And Gina is our CEO and our managing partner, and she's the driver behind all that. So, yeah. And I can vouch for all that to be true. I know you even have a, a director basically of culture as well, right? Mm -hmm. So it, you take it very serious and how the client experiences, right? Yes, definitely. Yeah, yeah we have... Uh, it, one of the different approaches to being a law firm is we have an executive director. It's Josh White in our Omaha office, and mm -hmm. you know his job is uh, to make sure that uh, the culture is followed through with. He does a great job of it, and and we have a lot of exposure in the community. I think it's been well received. Yeah. So, so paint me a, a picture of who you enjoy helping. You touched on a little bit the type of client. You know, maybe start to describe that that person mm -hmm. a little bit. Most of my business clients are entrepreneurs, but people who started their business 35 years ago and okay. maybe started it from scratch um, and have just worked hard for that period of time to grow and um, be successful in whatever field they are. It may be from, uh, you know, I have all sorts of different, what could be real estate development to restaurant management companies to, um, large lawn and landscaping companies, whatever it may be. That's generally my client base. Mm -hmm. And typically you see, I mean, we see this all the time. You have the operating company and, a, and real estate was maybe not the original plan, but it's become a big part of their, their net worth. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Cause, and it usually evolves into, here's my company, I'm starting it. And then at some point it makes sense to buy the real estate that we're operating our company out of. Right. Um, and but th that is the majority of the business clients I have, and particularly with this you know generation coming up. And I know that today the topic is succession planning, but a lot of the conversations that we have with that generation because they've worked so hard to grow and have successful businesses on and what's the next stage in their life, you know. So they're not necessarily my age, but maybe the generation above me. Um, uh, that's a lot of my clients. So, so what are you finding? Do you find they're ready to talk about succession planning? Do you have to bring them in kicking and screaming? <laughs> uh, is it the second generation that's nudging them to get in and talk about it? What? How do those conversations get started if they do at all? It's interesting. There's sort of, I've seen it in two different ways. Um, in the professional, I have a, several professional companies, you know, dentists, lawyers, accountants as well. It's the second generation that's kicking and screaming in those mm -hmm. industries, it seems like. Okay. But the vast majority of the ones, um, you know, the entrepreneurs that I'm representing, um, they're just getting to that point now where they're starting to think about what the next stage in their life is going to look like. And they sort of come to me with those questions. Um, uh, you know, they don't, a lot of them ne don't necessarily have that second generation in place yet or mm -hmm. what it's going to look like, uh, who is going to, to take it the next step. And so there isn't anybody kicking and screaming behind them. Sure. <laughs> so. yeah, so I, yeah, I went to a small town in Iowa, Villisca, Iowa. Have you heard of Villisca? Sure. Yeah. There was, and there's uh, 
an old house there where there was an axe murder. I've, I, I've seen it on the news. Yes, yeah, so <laughs> I guess you can spend the night there. So I was giving a talk out there, and so I, everybody told me this. I didn't hear. I didn't know anything about it. So I called ahead and asked if I could stay at this house. But it was uh, it was like you bring a sleeping bag and oh. you sleep on the floor. Um, so I declined, but maybe, maybe I'll bring the, the family back there for some type of weird bonding experience. Yeah, that's, um, I will say the smaller towns have a lot of those thriving businesses, mm -hmm. not, maybe not necessarily the, the haunted house, although I'm sure oh, it's, it's so, highly successful. So I got a little off track there. That wasn't the reason that made me think of it. They had a lot of businesses there. They had I me mean, say it's some really thriving, uh, restaurants, even the grocery store but they literally had to close down the grocery store because there was nobody to run it. Right. They're, the business was fine. Mm -hmm. um, so that is sad that, the, that there isn't somebody to take over some of these. Yeah. Yeah, you see that often. Um, and, you know, some of my practice, it's the same principles. It extends to the family farm to some degree mm -hmm. as well. So I do have several of those clients as well. Tell me from your perspective. So we're often thinking about the operating company, how that would transition internally or externally the estate planning that goes along with that, um, you know, an asset sale or a stock sale. Traditionally though, the real estate, often the owner or owners wish to continue that. Mm -hmm. um, are, are you, do you see that as well? I mean, how did they, do they think about succession planning with their real estate differently and want to hold on to that maybe longer or are they thinking about how to transfer that as well? No, the, the ones that I do see, I think you're exactly right. That's the same thing I see. If they own the real estate and the, the business is operating or technically leasing, you mm -hmm. know, from, even though right. it may have been the same owner, the, the person or the driver of the company typically will hold on to that real estate. It's good, it's good retirement income because the company would still be paying rent back. Um, so we generally don't see them too worried about that from a succession plan standpoint, unless it's an outright sale. You know, right. if it's a full blown, we're gonna sell this company to a third party, which is something, you know, we certainly see, although we see a lot more of the transitioning to family or employees in an outright sale, most of the time, the buyer is going to want to own the real estate as well. They're not going to want to have a landlord in that situation. So they'll package it all together from an asset sales standpoint. You know? Right. So with the with the real estate, do what are some of the things that business owners need to be thinking about? Uh, obviously, you want some entity separation, but do you see some tangled messes when maybe the, the, the lease arrangements aren't quite correct. Uh, give me some, some things you see that maybe we should let our listeners know to look out for or just pitfalls you've seen. Well, I think you definitely want entity separation, right? Not only from a tax advantage standpoint, but also just from a pure liability standpoint. So the operating company, in my opinion, should be separate and distinct from the company that holds the real estate, even though they may still, they may have the same shareholders. Um, but you hit the nail on the head. Oftentimes what we see is, um, you know, people running these businesses are highly successful at what they do, but they also don't necessarily sit down and think about it, you know, from a planning standpoint. And in some cases, these are uh, relationships and business structures that have been developed 30 some years ago, sort of quickly through the family. So I do often see where, one or both of the companies aren't necessarily keeping with all of the corporate formality, so to speak, mm -hmm. and or there's not a real formal lease in place. <laughs> so right. that's a real easy thing to handle. 
Um, and typically the accountants like to see that on the back end anyway. Yeah, and maybe this is an accounting question, but even the structure of how that lease is written can affect how it's uh, capitalized as well or depreciated. Correct, yeah. Okay. And, a, and an outright buyer is gonna wanna see that as well because mm -hmm. they may have, typically the outright buyers are larger conglomerates of some sort or nature. Right. And, and or, you know, an investment bank or something like that. And they may wanna have a whole different structure mm -hmm. in that long-term lease and how it's structured can really implicate the terms of the deal there, for mm -hmm. sure. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now you had walk me through maybe your process, what you see just as um, from a succession plan, how would, if a business owner came to you and said, where do I start? I've been, been thinking about this for, you know, years. Um, typically it's, yeah, maybe a buddy of theirs had a health event and right. now they're thinking, well, I better get my ducks in a row. Yeah. So give me your thoughts around just maybe walking through that process. That is funny you say that. Cause that is a lot, th those are some of the drivers typically, you mm -hmm. know, Hey, my friend and I who have had coffee for 30 years and we're both have, you know, entrepreneurs or whatever it is, he got sick. Boy, I need to think about this. Right. So they call me. We don't listen to attorneys, but we'll listen to our peers, right? Right. Well, and unfortunately, <laughs> I've been telling you that for I've been telling you that for years. And unfortunately, by the oftentimes by the time the attorneys get involved, it's sometimes after the fact when everything's gone south. So, you know, uh, I always tell people a little bit of planning and consultation ahead of time uh, can really help. That's the key to most of it. So, um, you know, if we do start having the conversation, sometimes it can last years. I have a client right now who has a very successful business and we've been talking every three, four months for the past couple of years on how to refine it and what he wants it to look like. Um, so that conversation, the earlier it starts, the better. And I think the next generation is a lot better at having those conversations but um mm -hmm. the faster you can get your team involved i guess is what i would call it uh the better and you know an external team in these sorts of succession planning you know it absolutely needs to be your cpa you yep. need to understand that concept um your financial advisor because really from a succession standpoint the ultimate goal is if you're going to step away from the business how do I, you know, transfer this asset that I've poured my heart and soul into to whoever is going to run it and maybe take care of my employees? But more importantly, how is that going to continue to fund my lifestyle that I'm right. wanting to do? Yeah. What do you need <clears throat> and what do you want it to provide for others? Big question. Yeah. yeah. To me, yeah. that's always their main goal. You know, lawyers, we worry about the, the liability and, and uh, protecting against disputes. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, we need to make those personal goals fulfilled. So. Sure. Accountants, um, uh, financial advisors, and attorneys, the faster you can get those that team in place. And it doesn't have to be solely developed, but just start figuring out what that's going to look like. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I think when you start looking at that is the depth of the team. You know, depending on what sort of business you have, uh, is your legal team able to handle the transfer of your intellectual property if that's an asset of your company? Mm -hmm. You know, um, you really need to think about those sorts of things. So that's usually the beginning of the process. Uh, who's your team? What's it look like? What are your goals? How can we get there? Um, do you do you typically find one of those members leads it? Is it typically the attorney? Is it typically the CPA? I often find it's typically the CPA, honestly, okay. um, because for one reason or another, and um, 
most of my clients have a, a, an ongoing dialogue with their CPA more than their attorney, which is a good thing, right? We're filing our taxes every year, but maybe we don't have a dispute right. we they, need to resolve. So yeah, they at least have a, a consistent contact and they, for the most part, can see a lot of the pieces. Yeah. And, and I, I will say probably the other half, if it's not the CPA driving the conversation, it would be the investment advisor who's mm-hmm. trying to help them plan for retirement or the next stage, whatever that might be. Right. So so as we think about, you know, an internal or a family transition, what are some pitfalls? What are some things that we can say, hey, definitely do this before you go down that road? The ones I have seen is it it's usually definitely get whoever that family member is you're thinking about transferring the business to involved early okay. to, to make sure that they have the same passion and drive that you have, because that's a family transition. You're still going to be involved. They're still going to be your family when you're done. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you have to be comfortable seating some, a lot of responsibility to them. So whoever it is, identify it. Maybe it's all of your kids. Maybe it's whoever it is. But um, I just think the sooner you can get them involved in the business and see if that really is what they want to do, the better. That's key. I think business owners can have one idea of what people are thinking and then yeah, as we say, before, by the time it gets too late, they realize, nope, they were really wanted to go be a fireman their whole life. <laughs> right, right. And when we talk about family transfers, it's usually, you know, transfer of stock in some fashion or another mm-hmm. to that family member over time. And there's always a tipping point where they they become the majority and the owner who built it up can become the minority. So, um, you know, the, the sooner that relationship, working relationship mm-hmm. can get started, the better. And every case is a little bit different because the ownership mapping may, might not be synonymous with the control, it kind of who runs things from day to day. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that's where the customization and the, the conversations are helpful. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And from a legal perspective, yeah, we, you know, we can, we can make that look however it needs to look for the right. parties. Um, so. Yeah. And and I think that's a good point. So if you were going to consult with Andy, they might say, gosh, I want to I want a bonus or I want to give shares. I think that's when the attorney plays a, a crucial role to say, well, let's see how this is going to affect your estate. Hold up here. That might not be the best way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you just want them to have some more operating control, we can uh, change the way the share structure is. Uh, so there's all types of things you can consider. Definitely. And then the ultimate one just being hey, you know, we're going to make one of our family members a, a highly vested em- employee mm. until my death. And at that point, because that is part of that's part of succession as well. Yeah. Right. Um, it could just be a testimony transfer to of the company, whatever it is to that particular Tell family me, member. Unpack that a little bit for me. What's what's that typically look like? It's typically as simple as I give all of my shares in company X, Y and Z to my son. OK, upon death, <laughs> upon yeah, death. Yeah. But generally, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of that because if you're married and you predecease, you want to make sure your spouse or whoever is still taken care of, um, there's that, there's that wrinkle, but you certainly can gift shares. You don't have to give everything really to all your children. If that's sort of the scenario we're running under. Right. So every, every case is different. Yeah. What about an external sale? Is that something I know you say you have some mergers and acquisition experience? I mean, are you helping actually get through that due diligence or the deal or getting them ready for that? Tell me a little bit about what a business owner should be thinking about and maybe where you can get involved. 
Yeah, so um, generally when the attorneys get involved, um, there's sort of been a business, the business terms have been agreed to for the most part. Um, most of the time acquisitions are asset sales, asset acquisitions. I mean, they're not usually stock purchases when we're talking about these sorts of smaller businesses. Um, uh, so I'm a business owner, why is that? The stock, the liability, if you sell somebody stock, liability follows with the stock. So mm -hmm. most of the time, outside buyers are just interested in buying the assets. And of course, they'll buy the intellectual property, which includes the names. Um, and then the goodwill transfers to them as well along sure. those lines, as, as, as opposed to buying the stock and anything that may be tailing along mm. with that. We certainly do see stock purchases, but in my practice where most of my clients are um, entrepreneurs who built their business up over time, it's usually an asset sale. Sure. So okay. we get involved from understanding, helping um, the asset documentation, the asset purchase agreement documentation get done right to meet the goals. Um, due diligence, certainly we will help analyze it. more so obviously on the buying side of it. Will the attorneys get involved in the due diligence because we'll be reviewing the actual um, documents associated with the company if our client is the buyer. Right. So helping with the markups and mm -hmm. things, uh, the reps and uh, things the, the us that don't read the legalese uh, just don't even understand what what we're signing right yeah and but our job mostly is just to make sure that we protect if if we're the seller from the most liability we can protect them from as possible right. and in these instances there usually is a transition agreement you know mm -hmm. at the end of it where the seller if they are the principal and they've been the person that's built up the company has a relationship sometime past closing with that buyer to make sure the company keeps operating. So right. we help with that process as well. Give me an example of something down the road that a seller maybe wouldn't think of, um, you know, something that could come back on them that you're able to protect them from. Um, well, I mean, the basic ones are just making sure that at the time of sale, any and all liabilities are satisfied. Mm. When I say liabilities, it could be as simple as, and I've seen this, oh, I forgot I signed this promissory note or that personal guarantee. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of these businesses will have, you know, outstanding accounts, you know, and we just need to make sure that's all wrapped up. And, and if it is an asset sale on the day of closing, unless the parties negotiate otherwise, which mm -hmm. does happen, obviously, um, you're done outside of any transition right. agreement. So that's generally so, our so main focus. So now you're personally guaranteeing something and you don't have the asset to back it up. Correct, anymore, right? that's exactly right. Um, and, you know, because the last thing you wanna do is have built this company up for however many decades, think you've sold it, moving on to the next stage of your life, and then you deal with that next stage, you're dealing with the conflict that next stage of your yeah. life associated with your sale of your company, so. Yeah, I can't think of a better time to like double check and make sure the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted. So yeah, a, a huge function that you perform there. Andy, is there anything uh, upcoming for you? How can people find you, check you out? I don't know if you have a blog or anything like that. <laughs> you know, I, I don't have a blog. Uh, Gooseman Law does have a blog. Okay. We post weekly blogs on our on our webpage and okay. the attorneys there. Um, one of the good things, well, we have lots of good things at Gooseman Law, but one of sort of the out of the box things we do have is we have, very, have a very active marketing department and the attorneys are very good about writing blogs, our webpage has forms that are available to the public to oh, use. Um, 
So I guess I would just direct people to the Gooseman Law okay. webpage, um, and you can find my conf- uh, contact information there as well. All right. And yeah. I know you're a pretty easygoing guy. I'm sure if a business owner isn't even sure which questions he's supposed to ask quite yet, you'd be happy to go grab a cup of coffee with them. Definitely. And, and I think, um, you know, the first part of our conversation was talking about building a team. And so there has to be a level of trust and a relationship mm-hmm. built between whoever it is, the accountant, but in my case, the attorney and the client, mm-hmm. um, because we're trying to navigate those waters. And so I think it's an absolute good thing to sit down and have a conversation and get to know each other before we operate on a business level. Yeah. All right. Well, Andy, this has been great. Time has flown. Uh, I really appreciate you being on the podcast. Hope you come back again. Definitely. Thanks for having me. Okay. And thank you to our listeners for being part of our practice and challenging yourself to grow a little bit every day. Take care, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Business Owner Challenge. Don't leave your business transition to chance. Your family, employees, and community will benefit from a proactive written secession and exit plan. To find out how to start, please contact Brady Marlowe and Rob Willendorf at Execso. Call 402-991-1700 or visit them online at execso.com. All matters discussed during the show are for informational purposes only. Each individual situation may vary and the opinions expressed here may not apply to everyone. Materials presented are believed to be from reliable sources and no representations can be made as to its accuracy. All ideas and information should be discussed in detail with one of our qualified representatives prior to implementation. Advisory services offered through Exexo, registered investment advisor. Exexo and Cambridge are not affiliated. Securities offered through registered representatives of Cambridge Investment Research Inc. Broker-dealer, member FINRA SIPC.